Sweet. Well, we're going to be getting into chapter four today, which is the last chapter of Second Timothy. The title of the message today is The Finish Line. And so uh, we aren't quite at the end today. Uh, next week, uh, actually, uh, I will not be teaching. I'll be out of town for Sunday. Uh, and uh, Tate is going to be finishing uh, the rest of chapter four for uh, us. And so we're looking forward to that. And then starting that new, those new service times, at that point, we are going to actually start a new series, uh, which I'm very excited for as well. Um, so we're kind of going into that new season and starting fresh. But today, uh, we're starting chapter four, looking at the first eight verses. Now, it's been said before that someone's last words are often their most meaningful ones. Have you ever heard that before? That someone's last words, if someone is on their deathbed, that, that's something that you want to you receive from them. Because at that point, there's no more games, right? I mean, it, it's, it, life got very real for them. And so the things that might come out of their heart and their mouth uh, will be powerful. And someone's last words uh, are powerful. It's usually heartfelt in that way, right? It, it's raw. It's, it's real. And that's so, I mean, a lot of people on their deathbed uh, receive Christ because they heard about Jesus, but they lived their life. And by God's grace, they weren't killed instantaneously. And they got this chance where they knew they were going to die. And some people receive Jesus because why? Because life got real. And there's something about someone's last words. Um, any Spider-Man fans in here? Any, uh, like, uh, yeah. So let me give you a little, little trivia then. What were some of the last words that Uncle Ben told Peter Parker? All right, let's, let's see if, if anyone know. Some of those last words. Raise your hand if you know. Raise your hand if you know. Joseph. Yep, perfect. With great power right, comes great responsibility, right? And, and for those, those words for, for Peter Parker, right, as he becomes Spider-Man, that those words, because what it, Uncle Ben ended up dying, right? And so those were words that, that resonated in the mind of Spider-Man, right? He, he began to realize that these were critical words and, be, and they became more powerful really because his Uncle Ben died and it became very real, and for us, as we now begin this descent, right? Have you guys ever been in an airplane before? You know how there's that point in the flight where you hear from the captain and like, well, we got sunny skies and it's 78 degrees and we're going to be on the land. You, you guys know what I'm talking about? And we're going to be on land and approaching, you know, whatever, and about 30 minutes out and we're going we're gonna to start our descent. So please strap your buckles in, whatever they say. You guys understand what I'm saying? So... In a sense, that's, that's where we're at in our study in 2 Timothy. And really, that's where Paul is at. He is a, he's about to land, in a sense, or really depart, what we're going to be looking at today. And these are some of his final words. In Scripture, these are some of the last words that we have from Paul. Uh, next week, like I mentioned, Tate's going to be delivering the message, and uh, he has some kind of closing remarks that uh, have some really good application for you and I. But this section really is this last encouragement, this last farewell to Timothy. And so there's power in them. It, it makes them that much more meaningful. And so last week, uh, we discussed, do you remember those three ways how we discussed how to follow Jesus for life? Uh, we, we looked at how the importance of an example, right? We, we talked about understanding the reality of pressure and persecution. And then, of course, the vital role that Scripture plays in our life. And the things that we had talked about, though, uh, really had to do with us personally, having a personal example, personal understanding of the Scripture, personal understanding that persecution will come. It was the inflow. Okay. So last week we talked about that inflow. This is important for you to make it in your walk with Jesus to the end of your life. Those things are important. Yet we know, as I mentioned, even before we got our message started, that the Christian life is not just about inflow, receiving, but it is about outflow, right? John chapter seven, you can note it down. John seven, verse 37 and 38 
says, on the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And so this is a great picture of what the Christian life should be. First, you and I, in a sense, uh, we receive that living water from Jesus, that we, in a sense, put our mouth under the tap of all that God wants to give us, and we receive. And as we do that, then the supernatural thing that God does in us is it doesn't stay in you. That the reason God pours in you is so that you would then pour out, right? We see that at the end. Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water, which we know happens by the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, this is the Christian life, that you should be receiving from Jesus. And as you receive, that you begin to fill to a point where it begins to overflow into the lives of those around you. And so now it's not just you drinking, but now you became a river for other people to receive that living water from Jesus. This is his design. And today I want to talk about not just getting to the end of your life and barely making it, but rather fulfilling all that God has for you along the way. You see, it's one thing to follow Jesus your whole life, but it is another thing to follow him well and walk in all that God has for you. The Bible does tell us that there will be some people who make it to heaven, but they didn't really live for Jesus, that they actually have no rewards. And that's, I don't want that to be me. I not only want to finish walking with Jesus, but I want to do it well. I want to I get to heaven and I want to hear those, those words from God, right? Well done, thy good and faithful servant. You, you fulfilled what I had for you to do. And so it's not just about surviving, but really thriving. And so many might make it to the finish line, but will you make it there with others that you bring along with you? And that's going to be the question for today. So let's read our text for the day. Second Timothy chapter four. You guys have your Bibles open? Starting in verse 1, and we'll read down to verse 8, and then we'll pray and ask God to anoint the message by the power of his Holy Spirit. Verse 1 says this, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn, a, turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you, Timothy, be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And verse 8, finally, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Jesus, we are here before you today, and we pray that you would strip away all distractions. Lord, even me, I know my mind can begin to wander. I can begin to think about things later on or this week, but would we be able to have just undivided attention as, as we sit and we kneel before you? Lord, as we want that living water, we know, we know, God, that there's nothing else in this world that satisfies. Lord, I know I've tried other water, and it's, it's not good. It doesn't satisfy. It may be sweet for a moment, but it ends in bitterness. Lord, and we know that as we receive from you, that we find that complete contentment and that satisfaction. So, Lord, we pray that you would just pour into us today that as we leave this place, we might have those, those waters flowing from our heart, 
or to those around us. And so we pray this in Jesus' holy name. And we all said, amen, amen. So as we get into this, I just wanna remind you of something, okay? We need to really remember and consider the direct context to what is being written here. Remember, Timothy is a pastor, okay? So the letter is called 2 Timothy. And Paul, who obviously has this shepherd's heart and uh, is this moving pastoral missionary, Timothy is in one place. He is in a place called Ephesus, and he pastors the church there. And so Paul is writing to him first and foremost as a pastor. So when reading the Bible, we can't just read it for our application first. We have to read it in the direct context in which it was written. So we always need to remember the first and foremost application is to Timothy, who was a pastor. He's not writing to you and I. Now, God has seen fit to put this in his word so you and I can learn from it and God wants to speak to us through it and there is application for you and I. But before we jump to that, we gotta remember that Paul's writing to Timothy. He's not thinking about you 2,000 years later sitting. God was, no doubt, and that's how we can still receive and it's still relevant. But Paul writing to Timothy, he's a pastor. He's saying, preach the word, be ready, do the work of evangelist. And so we need to know that it first applies to Timothy. Okay, does that make sense? Secondly, uh, the application applies to a pastor. I mean that if a pastor is reading this text, like I did earlier this week, that before I think about the application for you guys, I'm thinking about the application for me because, hey, I'm a pastor. Okay, so what, there is this direct second application for me. Okay, does that, does that make sense? It, it is a model. What, what he's saying to Timothy is a model. So if any pastor reads this text, they should use it as a model. Okay, this is how I should be and this is how I should act. And at the same time, it's a model for people in the church to see and take. So let's say you go to a different church. You should take what you've learned in 2 Timothy and say, hey, is this pastor uh, up to standard with scripture? Is he preaching the word? Is he convincing? Is he uh, doing the work of an evangelist? Is he doing these things that the scripture for you uh, when you go to churches and you encounter pastors, this should be that model so that you should know what God expects a pastor to be. Does that make sense? Very important because there's a lot of pastors in our nation, in our world who do not do the work of a pastor. And so we need to make sure that we qualify that. Does that make sense? The third application is for you. Third and most commonly, right, most of the people that read this are not pastors. God has seen fit to put this in his word for uh, everyday Christians in that way, okay? People that are a part of the church, that are ushers, that are uh, churchgoers in, in some way. And, and no doubt God has seen fit that there is application for you and I. But the problem would be if we jump into this, trying to just take the application for ourselves first, then there'd be some confusion. There, there'd be some things that you miss. And so we're gonna go through it and uh, we're gonna see uh, those applications and what's being said, but that context is important. Does that make sense? You guys tracking? All right, let's get into it. So uh, we see in verses one through five, we see Paul's final encouragement, right? He's landing the plane. Seatbelts are buckled, okay? Uh, you know, uh, no one's coming down the aisles anymore with drinks. So they're, they're sitting down, and they're, does that make sense? They're, they're ready. These are the final encouragements. These are some of those last words to Timothy. And he says, notice in verse one, he says, I charge you. Hey, it's not that Paul is charging Timothy money. He's not saying, I charge you, therefore, and, and you owe me money. No, a charge to charge someone to do something is to have this strong encouragement about a very important matter. That what we find in verse one, what we just read a moment ago, when he says, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead. Look in your Bibles. He says these things because it is a serious and sober moment. In a sense, 
Paul looks over at Timothy. Now they're not together, but this is what I see in my mind. Paul looks over at Timothy, right? And, and grabs him by the shirt and pulls him in close. And he says, Timothy, you need to hear me, right? It's that moment that Peter Parker and Uncle Ben are sitting in the car and Uncle Ben looks at Peter and he says, you need to hear me, right? With great power comes great responsibility. There's this sober moment. There's this seriousness of someone's last words. Paul knows he is dying. It's how someone on their deathbed would pull in their loved ones and would say, come close. I need to tell you something. That is the picture, right? Right before someone would breathe their last breaths that they would communicate in that way. Now, Timothy does this in light of a couple things. So notice, look at there in verse one. He says, I charge you, but he says, I charge you. I I encourage you. There's this sober moment in light of three different eternal and unchanging realities. You can note them down. He says, before God, meaning that those are who his witnesses are. Those are who is around. He's saying, I'm telling you this before God, right? It's, it's kind of like someone would enter a courtroom and would put their hand on the Bible, right? And, and they would say, you know, I'll tell the whole truth, nothing but the truth, and so help me God. And, they're, and they're, they're basically saying, God, as my witness, look what I'm saying. And that's what Paul's doing here. He's saying, look, God, as my witness, in regards to these eternal and unchanging realities. The fact that Jesus is judge, and he brings into call that, that Jesus is the judge of the dead and the living, the just and the unjust, and that all of us will stand before Jesus. Did you know that? Now, for you and I as believers, we don't stand before him in judgment in regards to punishment, but rather rewards. But we will, the Bible says, that we will appear before Jesus. Your family won't be there with you. Your friends won't be there with you. That there will be this single, you have an appointment with Jesus and you will stand before him and will give an account for the good and the bad that you have done. Now, the great thing about being a Christian, the great deal, right, is the fact that Jesus takes the punishment and so you will not be punished in any way, that, that there will simply be an adding of rewards, right? It's a, it's a good thing. It's, like, it's a judgment regarding the picture that, that uh, scripture portrays for us is like at the end of a competition, right? An end of the Olympics when there's like the box number one, right? And it's the highest. And then there's box number two and it's a little bit lower. And on the other side, there's box number three. And, and there's those judges, right? Saying who, who goes where. And it's, and it's regarding rewards, it's not like the athletes who don't perform, they get like punished, right? It's just, oh, they, they didn't get the highest prize. Does that make sense? That's what it's gonna be like for you and I. Also, he, noticed, he notes Jesus's appearance. The fact that, hey, Jesus could come back in any moment. That Timothy, you gotta live for him because he is coming back and he is coming back not just for the church, but for judgment. And then finally, Jesus's kingdom. He, he, he brings to mind that, everything is ultimately his, that Jesus is king. And, and, and he says that basically in light of these things, right, that this should be the focus, that this is kind of how he begins in verse one, but he's about to get into all these different things, but he's laying the groundwork and saying, Timothy, you want to do these things in light of Jesus's judgment. You're going to stand before him in light of his coming back and in light of his kingdom. You know, it's hard to hit a target that you can't see, right? Imagine going to an axe throwing uh, facility. You guys know about axe throwing? It's very fun. It's very exciting. Imagine going to axe throwing and you not being able to see where the target's at. And no one knows where the targets are. And they're like, yeah, you got to kind of guess. I would not step foot in that place because axes are going to be flying every which way, right? Or imagine they come in there like, hey, we're going to actually blindfold you today. And you're like, you're not going to know where the target is. Yeah, you're not going to want to be in that room, right? And it's hard to hit a target that you can't see. And so what Paul does here for Timothy, in very short order, he establishes a target. He says, Timothy, this is the bullseye. This is the, is the, is the, 
target that you want to hit. And so what we're going to find in this chapter and these verses that we're looking at today are nine different imperatives. Everyone say the word imperative. Maybe it's a word you've never heard before. Uh, an imperative is a command. Do you guys know what a command is? Right? That maybe that's a word you're more familiar with. Nine imperatives, nine commands, meaning that these are musts. These aren't uh, if he wants to. And what we're going to see that there are these nine different commands. They're not suggestions to Timothy. They're saying, Timothy, this is what you need. If you are a pastor, this is what you need to do, right? That's the first application. Now, for you and I, there's no doubt things that we can take from it. But he's saying that these things are the most important, that Timothy should not put these things on the back burner. These aren't side issues. You guys ever played darts before, right? There's the bullseye, right? And then there's the little green, green thing. And, and as you get, you know, there, there's the different points. He's saying, this is the bullseye. This is what it to aim for. These are not side issues. These are the focal point of living for Jesus. And so what you're going to notice about these nine imperatives, these nine commands, these nine charges, right? He says, I charge you. This is what he's encouraging or charging him to do. You're going to notice something about them. There's a certain abruptness to them. You know what it means to be abrupt? There's a certain just, this is how it is. And it's just, boom. It's in three words. Timothy, do this, do that. It's because of everything that he's already talked about in the chapter now culminates to this moment where he's saying, okay, this is a target. This is the bullseye. Let's get down to business, Timothy. And he, there's a certain urgency about them. You're going to notice that it's, it's, it's almost like there's no time to pray about these things, Timothy. Praying is over. It is time to do them. And so I want you, as we go through some of them, we're not going to go through all of them in detail just for the sake of time and for the overall uh, you know, conclusion of what we're looking at today. But I want you to look at the last one that we find in verse six. Look at the end of verse six. It's the last command, the last of the nine imperatives, the last of the nine charges, and it's this, fulfill your ministry. And this is the one that he concludes with because it encompasses everything Timothy was to do. To fulfill something, it means to accomplish it entirely, right? If your mom asked you to clean your room, and if you were going to fulfill that task, it would not be throwing everything in your closet, hoping the closet doors don't bust open. It, right? it wouldn't be, you know how you make your bed really quick, but the sheet's still tucked in at the bottom, but you just throw the comforter and you're like, yeah, it's made. It's not made. Right? But to fulfill would be to do it entirely, to not leave anything behind to not do it lazy, but to fulfill entirely. You see, our goal and target should be what Jesus said regarding the Father. He said this when he was here on earth in the physical form. He said, John 28, he said, I always do those things that please him. Man, that's our target, guys. That's, our, that's the bullseye, to always do those things that please him. That is the aim. In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says, I make it my aim to please him. This should be our goal. Now, you and I, on this side of eternity, because of our sin nature, we're not gonna fulfill that completely. But we could try. That could be the aim, right? When you play darts, do you hit the bullseye every time? Now, I do, but that's a different, different story. But, but you probably don't, right? And so, uh, you're, you're not going to hit the bullseye every time. But are you going to aim for that? I mean, depending on what game you're playing. But if you're just playing for score, right, you are aiming for that bullseye. Now, you might not hit it, but you're going to get as close as possible. And this should be our goal, that, that our heart should be, ah, Jesus, I, I just want to please you. Everything I do, I, I, oh, I want to be able to say, I always do those things that please him. And notice, it is to fulfill, he says, your ministry. Notice the word your. It's personal. I mean that Timothy had a certain ministry that God had called him to. 
And you, you have a certain ministry that God has called you to, a role, a, an area of service. For me, God has called me to certain things. And what he has called me to, he hasn't called you to. And what he has called you to, he hasn't called me to, or your friend or your neighbor. There is something specific. The Bible says that there is a specific plan that God has laid out before you. And your job is to fulfill your ministry. Whether that's a pastor, whether that's a parking lot attendant, an usher, a greeter, a junior high leader, someone picking up trash at the end of service, or someone determined to meet new people, the Bible describes that there is a body of Christ with different functions, different parts, and they all work together for the glory of God. But what is your part? What is your role? You see, the first point to know that is you have to know it. Do you, do you know it? God has, if you are a Christian and the Holy Spirit is in you, you are a part of the body of Christ, which means you have a part to play. God is not looking, if you are, uh, right, this is the illustration that scripture gives. If you are a foot, God doesn't want you to be a hand. Because imagine if your foot was on your hand, there would be issues, okay? Or if your hand was on your foot, it'd be kind of weird, kind of cool, but strange, okay? And we are not to try to fulfill what each other are doing. We're to fulfill your ministry, and so I don't want you doing what I'm doing. And I don't want to do what you're doing because that's not what God has. But yet we can look at people on the stage. We can look at people who have positions that we would want or things or ministries. And we think, man, if I could just do that. What if God hasn't called you to that? You see, what God wants is faithfulness. Well done, thy good and what? Faithful servant. It means to be reliable and dependable on your ministry. And so the question that you need to think about is, do you know your role? And if you do, are you fulfilling your role? And don't think that has to be a paid position at the church. Hey, there's about 70 staff members and 15,000 people that go to this church. This church is not made up of people that get paid. This church is made up of people who serve God. And that is awesome. And you have a role to play. And you're like, I'm just in junior high. You have a role to play. You're either going to fulfill it or you're not, but no one can do it for you. And God's not going to do it for you. You got to fulfill it. Now that's the last one, which is all encompassing of these commands. Okay. But I want to go now back up to the first one. Notice he says in verse one, look back at your Bibles. Uh, sorry, verse two, right? The charge is in verse one. Then in verse two, the very first imperative, the command, he says, preach the word. And this one gets me fired up. Uh, probably because I like to preach and I like to teach. And I'm like, yes, preach the word, right? It doesn't just say preach, exclamation point. It says preach the word. Now, I don't know about you, but in my Bible, I have an exclamation point. And I think that's biblical. I think that's scriptural, that it is to preach the word, right? To preach, it means to announce. It means to make known publicly and loudly, uh, to proclaim a message. And this is the signature of Christian ministry, meaning that this is not just reserved for pastors and preachers. Now, if someone is called to pastor and preach, you better believe that they should be preaching from nothing else other than the Bible to preach the word. And if you ever go to a church and they don't open their Bible once, leave and never come back. Do you hear me? This is what we are here for. We, as pastors at this church, we are to preach the word. And at pastors at any other church, this is the first and foremost command to preach the word. This is what God's given me. This is what God has given Pastor Jack. This is what God has given us. And so that's why you're not going to see me pull out a science book. Now, I might talk about science, but it's this is, this is what I'm going to preach. And you're not going to get anything different. But but what about, what about you? Well, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 5 says this, for we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, I like to at times, right, share some things about my life with you as a way of illustration. But if I came up here and every Sunday, I was just telling you about like what happened in my week and just telling you like, yeah, this is what's going on in my life. You should leave and never come back to this room, okay? And you should go tell Pastor Jack because there's an issue, we should be preaching the word. We preach about Jesus, not ourselves. There's a place for testimony. But listen, preaching is not about 
talent or ability, but it is about willingness and obedience. Did you guys hear me? Preaching, to preach the word, is not about talent and ability, but it is about willingness and obedience. Now, the first application is obvious for Timothy. He was a pastor and he preached. The second is also clear for any pastor reading this, then that means they should then take the scripture and they should make sure that's what they're preaching. However, it's also applicable to the majority who read this, which are not pastors. You probably don't have a pulpit. Unless God calls you to it, you don't need to go to the beach with a megaphone and preach Jesus. Maybe that's not what you're called to. But I do believe that we should all be preaching Jesus, preaching the word to those in our life. So does that mean we should sit down our friend and say, sit down, open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 4, and I'm going to preach a sermon for 45 minutes to you. No, that's, that's not what it looks like, right? But are we talking about the word? Is Jesus a part of our conversation? When we talk to people, is it all about ourselves or are we talking about Jesus? We not, might not be preaching with a microphone or preaching with a megaphone or preaching in the pulpit, but are you preaching Jesus? Are you announcing him? Is he a part of your speech? We all have the command to preach the word. Some with a mic, a very limited few. Others and most with a conversation. But what about you? And that's, that's, a, that's a question for you. Are you, is, are you doing this? Is this a part of your life? You might not be called to preach. You, you're probably not. Some of you might be, for sure. God's called some pastors and teachers, but that is not the majority. But would you say that this is a part? This is, a, this is that first imperative. Now, the next few, we're, not, we're gonna go through them quickly, but I want you to notice, okay, the next few are directly tied to this first one. Okay, the next one, you can look in your Bibles in verse two. He says, be ready in season and out of season. This is directly tied to preaching the word. This is not like be ready to like, you know, serve people. No, this is actually be ready to tell people about Jesus in season and out of season. The idea of being ready is to be accessible and available for a certain function or service, right? We're kind of going with the plain illustration today, so let's just go with that, right? It's like, you know, uh, those little buttons that you can push and then the, uh, right, it, it dings them in the back and then they come and they can get you a drink or whatever. You guys know what I'm talking about? Okay, that, that means that they are available and accessible. They're ready to serve you. Well, for us to be ready to preach the word, the Bible says that we are to be ready in season and out of season. The idea of this is whether it is a convenient time or an inconvenient time, whether someone would welcome it or it wouldn't be very welcomed, whether it's a favorable time in season or an unfavorable time, that the way that we talk about Jesus shouldn't be based upon how people receive it. There's gonna be times, listen, everyone, are you guys listening to me? There are going to be times that there is gonna be a very, it's gonna be very inconvenient. It's gonna be very unwelcome to preach Jesus, but your message should not change because of how people respond to it. Now, you should not be obnoxious. You should not be offensive. The Bible says that the gospel is offensive. You shouldn't be. But that doesn't mean that you don't share what it says. That doesn't mean based upon someone's reaction that that's not something you share. The Bible says that we are to be ready in season and out of season, but we are so good at making excuses, are we not? Man, I make excuses every day. Now, I preach twice a week, right? But that doesn't mean I then... Do I, when I'm at the grocery store and I feel God's leading, do I, I'm preaching to tonight, tomorrow night. Like, it's fine. I don't, need a, I don't need to tell this person about Jesus. No, I have that same command that I'm still to tell people about Jesus, but how many excuses do we come up to? Ah, they don't care. Oh, I'm gonna look like a weirdo. Oh, I don't know how to say it. It's not gonna make sense. They're not gonna receive it. Warren Wiersbe says this, it is easy to make excuses when we ought to be making opportunities. And that's a good word. That's convicting for me. How easy is it to make an excuse? I don't know about you guys, but I am a great excuse maker 
Fantastic. I would, I would go to toe-to-toe to toe with any of you regarding excuses. How do I know that? Because when I wake up in the morning, the amount of excuses that instantly pop into my head is unreal. No, I don't want to wake up. No, I don't. I, there's some real, oh, I'm not feeling good. I, I start like almost lying to myself. I have to put my flesh in check to get out of bed, to go to the gym, to get up and read the Bible, to get up and uh, do the chores I need to before work, whatever it might be. And, but the excuses just come naturally. It's just boom. I mean, you, you don't even have to think about it. And I got you 10 excuses for whatever you need to get out of. But that's the flesh. And we're to be ready in season and out of season. We are not to make excuses, but make opportunities. Now, the next few are, are these, a uh, couple more commands. And they also have to do with this idea of preaching the word. And notice it says here, convince, uh, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering. And I'm running out of time. And so we can't go through these. But this is basically the idea is that we are to be preaching the word. And it should be in a way that isn't, isn't sugarcoating it. Meaning if there's times when we're talking to someone and, and it's regarding a sin that they're involved, we shouldn't back down. Now we should do it, notice, with all long-suffering and teaching. Look at your Bibles. There should be this idea that we're showing the wrong way, but we're also showing the right way. And we should do this by God's word. And then if you notice, look in your Bibles, look at verse three and four. We'll read it. It says, it, he kind of pauses, right? He's giving these commands, preach the word, convince, rebuke. Remember, I, I shared with you that they were short commands. But then in verse three and four, he, he kind of gives some of these uh, reasons why. He says, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears. Everyone say itching ears. You guys ever get itchy ears? Okay, this is not talking about like you need to put ointment. These people need to put ointment on their ears because they're itchy, okay? Uh, what, what's happening here, what he's talking about is that some people will, he, will they'll go to a church where the pastor is preaching the word and it happens here. They go and sit in the main sanctuary and Pastor Jack is preaching and he's preaching the word. He's convincing, he's rebuking. He is doing this in a way where when it's convenient and inconvenient and some people will hear it and be offended, not by the person, but by the message. And so they'll say, well, I'm going to go, I'm going to find another church that, man, doesn't talk about sin like all the time. I'm going to go to another church that doesn't talk about real issues in the world that are actually happening in our community and our country, right? And they're going to go somewhere else and then they're going to sit down and they have these itching ears and they're going to depart from sound doctrine from what the Bible says. Like, I don't want to hear the Bible all the time. Like, can't you just tell like some funny stories? And so people find churches, and maybe some of you have come from those churches. Maybe that's why you're in this church now, is because you know your ears are not going to get tickled here. You're like, what are you, what are you talking about? Yeah, no, well, first of all, no one's going to tickle your, tickle your ears here, because that'd be weird. But the other thing is that it's not, you're not just going to hear what you like to hear. Listen, you come in this room, you're not going to just hear what you like to hear. You're going to hear what you need to hear, because all I got for you I mean, maybe I got a funny story here and there to, to liven up. I try. I'm not very funny. I'm not like Pastor Shadrach. But, but listen, but this is what I have. This is all I can give you. But there will be some that they don't want it. They can't endure sound doctrine, and so they go. But that doesn't, listen, that doesn't change our directive. That doesn't change the imperative, that this is what we should be looking for. The last three other than to fulfill your ministry, you can look in your Bibles there in uh, verse five. He says, but we watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of evangelists. We would, I want to comment on these, but we simply don't have time. So I'd encourage you, go back and look. These are some of those other commands that we, not are, we are all commanded to do, to do the work of an evangelist, to watch, to uh, endure these afflictions. And so uh, there's lots of points here of meditation but these are those final encouragements and we would be wise to not just leave it. Well, I'll just leave it for Pastor Jack. Like he's doing all the preaching. I'll just show up to church. It's not how the body should work. It should be one part. It should, it should, be, it should come from those who lead, but then flow into your life. Because listen, the people that you have access to, I don't have access to. The people I have access to, you might not have access to. And we are to all play our part. And then uh, finally, as we look at verses six through eight, uh, we see Paul's final, my clicker's not working. There we go. Paul's final farewell, okay? Those were Paul's final encouragements. Preach the word, 
fulfill your ministry. And then he kind of ends this before he gets into what Tate will pick up next week regarding some of these messages that he has for those uh, in Ephesus there and some different, different encouragements uh, for even other people. But this is his final farewell, okay? This is his, his, his last letter in a sense. And this is Paul's dying perspective, and it's powerful. What we're going to see in a moment is that this covers Paul's entire existence. It covers his past, it covers his present, and it covers his future. And for us, what we learn from these three verses, right? These, these are important because we're going to learn how you and I should live and how we should die. And so let's read them, verse 6 through 8. All right, you guys still have your Bibles open? All right, look with me. He says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but all also to all who have loved his appearing. And so first we see in verse six, we see the present, okay? We see the present. That Paul looks around and tells Timothy that he's dying, that he's departing. He, he knows that this is clear, that this is the end of the road. That he looks around, this is his present reality, okay? He says, notice, look in verse six, he says, I am already being poured out, meaning it's happening now. All of us could say we're dying, uh, like you're dying and you're only 13, but you're in the process of dying, okay? I don't, I don't know if that maybe blew some of your minds, but you are dying, okay? Hopefully it, it takes a little while, my prayer, uh, for you guys, uh, or Jesus comes back and we don't have to deal with death, but uh, regardless, for Paul, it's not just that it's, he's going to die, it's that it's, it's going to happen soon, that, that notice he says, I am being poured out. The idea of being poured out is the idea that, that he, is, he is entirely done. It, there's, there's, there's no more drops left in the tank. And this reference, we don't have time to get into it, but that reference of, of how he's being poured out as this drink offering. In the Old Testament, uh, one of the Jewish customs was that when they would, you know how they do animal sacrifices? Okay, one of the, the customs that they had was that they would take wine, they would take a drink, and as the animal was on the sacrifice and, and the different ways that they would do it, one of the things is that they take a full uh, bottle or whatever they used and they would pour it out completely and it'd be the symbol of this in, that, that you are giving your entire self to God. And Paul has given his entire self to God and notice what he says, verse six, he says, my departure is at hand. He says, it's time for me to go. The, the, the bus is leaving, the plane is taking off. Literally, that word departure is how a ship would begin to unloose the rope. Have you guys ever been on a boat before? Right, right. It's, it's kind of how the boat would, would, would unloose from the dock and would begin to pull up the anchors. The ship is leaving and Paul was getting on it. Not by, not by choice, right? He was about to be uh, killed for his faith, faith but he knew that, that this was coming. And he says it was at hand, right? It was imminent. It's kind of like, man, we're really going with these plane illustrations. But if you've ever been on a plane, then you know that there's that time where you get to the airport and you're at the gate and you're waiting, right? And you know, but you know it's coming and you're just waiting for them to call out your boarding, right? Uh, they, they say group A or group B and you're waiting and you have your ticket and that flight's gonna take off and it's at hand. And for Paul, his time to go to Jesus was at hand. Philippians 1, 23, earlier in his ministry, years earlier, he said this to the, the church at Philippi. He said, for I am hard pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. But he said, nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. He says, I, I, he came to this point, his ministry was like, man, I wanna be with Jesus. I wanna leave this earth but I know that me being here is for others' benefits. But now, for Paul, he doesn't have to be hard-pressed anymore. He doesn't have to debate. He knows that his time with Jesus is coming. This is his present reality. The second thing, though, is, is that he looks at the past. Look at verse 7. 
he's not only looking around and seeing where he's at, but then he is looking back and he sees. Think about this. He's looking back at his life. He's reflecting of 30 years of ministry. It was 30 years earlier that Jesus hit him, in a sense, on that road to Damascus with that light and changed his life forever. And he's able to say, he's able to look back and say, I fought the good fight. I mean, that it was a fight. It was not easy. And if you look at the book of Acts, you see that it didn't come easy. The dude was shipwrecked at times, left to die. He was stoned. He, he, he didn't just like float around to these churches and encourage them and, and then float to the next one. He had to go, he had to walk. He had to go by camel. He had to go by ship. People hated him. People wanted him dead. People persecuted him. People threatened him. He was whipped. He was imprisoned. It was a fight, but he has made it to the end. He didn't give up, right? He didn't, he didn't uh, have the, the white flag of surrender. He didn't throw in the towel, that he's beat up, no doubt. You know, I'd love to envision this portion of scripture. You guys know about the, the armor of God? And I see Paul here in this Roman prison, and he is wearing still the armor of God, but it's worn. It's tattered, right? His shield has too many arrows that you can't even see the shield anymore. That his breastplate has gashes and, and, and it's, it's, it's battered, right? He's got, he's got the, the shoes of the gospel of peace, but they're getting, the soul is getting worn. He's got his helmet on, but it's dented left and right, right? He has his sword of the spirit that he has been preaching Jesus with, but it has blood on it. It has bone on it. It has been, he has been through the fight, but he is able to look back those 30 years of ministry and say, I've, I've fulfilled what God had for me. And the second thing, notice he says, I have finished the race, right? His goal wasn't winning, but rather completing. In other words, he could say, I've gone the distance. I, there's that, there was that line and he, he crossed it. He is just about to, Hebrews 12, 1 we don't know who the author is, some think Paul, but he says this, therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Paul took this for his own life and he ran his race with endurance. And finally he says, I have kept the faith. I mean that he didn't, he didn't deny Jesus. And those moments where his life was threatened and, he, and he, if he just denied, everything would be fine. He kept the faith. And then finally, verse eight, he not only looked to the present reality, his past um, experiences, but he looked to the future hope. Paul looked ahead and saw what was awaiting him. Notice he says, finally, and that's a good word because this is it for him. Finally, this, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. Think about this. Paul's in prison. I'm sure, you know, history tells us that it would have been a dungeon. It would have been nasty. It would have been a, not a fun place to be. He would have been the lowest of low. And yet Nero was, was there ruling, and I'm sure his comfort with his crown. Yet Paul knew that though it was like this on this earth, that there was a crown waiting for him. And he describes it as this crown of righteousness, this crown that God was going to give him. Now, when the Bible talks about a crown here, don't think about it as in royalty. You know, you and I, there's, there's multiple crowns that the Bible talks about that you and I are gonna uh, receive in heaven. Have you guys heard about that before? Certain crowns. Now, don't get the idea that we're going to have like, you know, these different crowns and we're just all going to be walking around with these like different crowns on our head and we're going to look all weird. And no, we learn pretty quick in the book of Revelation that those crowns are not for us. They are, but they're simply for us to be able to cast back at the feet of Jesus in a way of worship. The picture that scripture gives us is that we work on this earth for Jesus. And Jesus says there is treasures and reward in heaven. And then when we get to heaven, 
God's going to give us these crowns, right? And I don't know how that looks. I don't know what that will be like. And the more that we serve him, the more rewards that we know that we have. And part of that is that we're going to be casting these crowns as a way of worship, saying, God, you have given it to me, but I give it back to you. And it's a sweet picture that scripture gives us. And we know, though, that it's in regards to a prize, right? When the New Testament speaks of a crown, it's kind of like that ancient Olympic olive wreath, right? You guys, you guys know that picture? I wish I had a picture for you guys where the Bible says that there are imperishable crowns, uh, sorry, perishable crowns, right? Those back in the day in the ancient Olympics, that those would eventually, right? Plants die. Have you ever bought flowers for your mom? You know plants die, okay? But God says, I have a crown for you that's not going to fade away. The idea behind it is that there is this reward. And I love how, how Paul ends this in verse 8, how it's not just for him, but he gives this, this, this and it's, he's talking to you and I. And he says, it's not just for us, but it's all those who loved his appearing. The idea of loving his appearing is that we would live in a way that, like we talked about when we sung those songs, right? Getting ready, being prepared, wanting him to come back with that awareness of living for Jesus. And so what about you? This crown is available for you. This way of living is available for you. And we'll, we'll, cl- we'll close here. Worship team, you guys can come on out. Acts chapter 20, you can look on the screen. The Bible says this, but none of these things move me. This is Paul. He says, nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And so my prayer for you guys today is that you would finish your race. And you're like, well, I don't know when that is. Yeah, we don't know. We don't know when the end is. For some of us, listen, in this room, some of the end of our race could be by the end of the day. We don't know when that, that, that boarding call is going to happen. We don't know when that ship is sailing away. We know that it's coming. And so how, how do we live then? What, what do we do? We get ready. We prepare. We live in a way where we preach the word. That is the the first and foremost imperative. If you do nothing else for the rest of your life except talk about Jesus, you will have full rewards in heaven. Let's say you, you never go on to, to be any name or be famous. You're not a you know, TikTok dancer and no one knows who the heck you are and, and, and you, you, just, you just live a humble life. You, you maybe get married, you have one kid, you, you serve in your church, but everyone you tell about is Jesus. You will fulfill your ministry. All of our ministry, when you boil it down, is that we would be a witness and a mouthpiece for God to the world in which we live. So let's pray. God, we love you and we pray that you would help us to fulfill our ministry. Lord, that we want to be faithful. We, we want to get to that finish line, not crawling, Lord, but running through. And we know that this is not by might nor by power, Uh, but is by your spirit. And so, Lord, we open ourselves to you, praying that your Holy Spirit would work in us both to will and to do for your good pleasure. God, we give you ourselves. And Lord, we look to your return. We know that you are king, not us. You are king, no one else. And so, Lord, may we live worthy of the gospel. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and let's worship together.